One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is a podcast that believes that progressive politics can change the world. I'm your host, Hannah Shah. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, news, newspaper? I mean, email writer-in-chief. Sorry, I had a very, very early morning this morning in the radio. Uh, Stefan Rolnick for this week's Extra Show. Stefan, how's it going? Yeah, really good. I've had a really good week. I've had one of those rare weeks where I actually somehow managed to get some reading done. And I've been look at you. I know I've been dipping into an old book I borrowed from a friend, which was Jess Phillips's book Every Woman. It's a really good read, super quick. I'm flying through it, and I just I love how clear it is when you read it. You can literally hear her voice, which I think is like such a good marker of a good writer and a really clear thinker. It's super funny. It's super educational. It's a bit of a random plug since it came out a while ago, but if any of you still haven't read it, I would massively recommend. And I guess haven't haven't people also said that it's um, being touted as a possible TV series as well? Yeah, I have heard stuff about. I I have heard stuff on Twitter about somebody's bought the rights to (laughs) a life story, (laughs) which is um, quite a quite a mad situation. That's how you know you've made it. I definitely, I I reckon it will be up there with Chernobyl, which, as we know, was rated the highest rated (laughs) TV show on IMDb. But I mean, one of the main themes. Of, Wait, what are you saying about Jess's life story? <laughs> that it's radioactive with <laughs> ideas. Okay, I don't know. Moving on. Um, one of the main things about Jess Phillips's book is that she speaks a lot of truth to power. Mm. And some of the people that have been speaking truth to power and will be speaking truth to power today are the climate activists. So we're going to talk about that today. Yeah, we are. I've also just come back from a great um, Labour Together event about climate change where I spent the morning chatting to loads of people from climate groups from all across the Labour family obviously we've had the Rachel Reeves announcement that people from a bunch of select committees are gonna start writing a whole climate change strategy which is really important can we go back and explain that so it's the select committees yeah which to be clear select committees are those kind of really no offense to everyone we know who is on one dull looking they're not um, dull if you're a policy nerd like me mps sit in a semicircle and they get experts to come in and talk about their subject and rachel reeves has got a group of select committees they're on like stuff nerd like circles nerd circles from business to energy to all these different things health to yeah. come and talk about having a citizens assembly on climate change and right exactly. citizens assemblies are like when democracy sets up a WhatsApp group and invites the public. Um, and so they'll be going around 
asking the public for their ideas but today except is, it's a private whatsapp group you're you're allocated by lot all right not everyone can turn up yeah but today is the climate strikes yeah we've got more school climate strikes today and actually i think that's why the announcement was so good um it feels like the climate movement has really gripped people's attention we can see you know from the tv and things like action on plastics to the move by rachel reeves and the select committees and we know that the Climate Coalition and Green UK uh, have conducted some research that shows that nearly 70% of people now want urgent political action on climate change. Now, we were talking this morning about how we create the political will to act on climate change. And to be honest, loads of the people there, and they're like hardcore climate activists, they devote their life to this, were pretty pessimistic, but think that there is a small chance that we can make some change do you feel like the momentum is finally starting to build in a way that matches the horrendous scale of the problem? I think the difficulty with building momentum is that you rarely build enthusiasm for solving a problem based on fear, right? Fear tends to make yeah. us move inwards, we freeze and we don't act. And I think one of the struggles with the climate change problem is to understand the severity of it and the danger that we're in means overcoming one one of the kind of most fundamental things about being human that is when we're faced with news as bad as this our brains are wired not to come to terms with it so the question has always been can you truly understand the extent of the problem and be motivated to do something about it because once you truly understand it your instant emotion is despair i think lots of people deserve credit for this i think it is mainly the young people who have hit the streets and made the case for this through direct action. Mm. But one, I think one of the really interesting things, if we're talking about political messaging, and, you know, Bill Clinton had many faults, but one of the things that he talked about when he talked about <laughs> climate action was actually seeing this thing as an adventure and not something to be scared of. And, yeah. You know, everyone wants, to go on, everyone wants to go on an adventure, you know. <laughs> Sometimes I like to go to Kew Gardens. Particularly if it doesn't end up in like a sort of post-apocalyptic wasteland where we're all fighting each other for food, right? right exactly. <laughs> and, and, and I think actually that, you know, millennials often get kind of, you know, labelled as people that are very bleak who bleak humor mm. but that's what we're going to need to get through this because essentially <laughs> yeah pretty much and and i think this is the problem is speaking to a lot of open-minded progressive people who mm. believe us on this mm. issue and want us to act on this issue there's a difference between believing it and having that energy and that mm. urgency to act and for me that energy to, and urgency to act has come from understanding that the reason when i don't feel urgency about this that is my brain playing a trick on me and I think the second thing is realizing that, you know, the difference between tweaking this problem is a difference between our great grandchildren mm. having to, you know, move because of climate disaster or our grandchildren having to move because of climate disaster. Mm. And to be honest, I'd rather neither of them had to, to do move. it. Yeah. So I think once once you viscerally mm. understand that this mm. is something that will be happening during our lifetime and is a problem of now, there was a brilliant mm. woman on the Tory leadership debates on the BBC who was asking a question, a young person who made this point this is not a problem of tomorrow it's mm. a problem of now and once you understand that going out leaving school for a day and sitting down in front of parliament <laughs> makes perfect makes total sense. sense exactly i think one thing i want to quickly add is we talk a lot in this podcast about like how politics has changed and it seems to become far more extreme and we've seen a polarization and a move towards nationalism and the backlash we haven't seen before but actually it's this urgency and this fear and part of the thing like we talk about automation as a challenge and the future but actually the fact that climate like we are in a climate crisis causes people to sort of 
rush into the arms of authoritarianism. Like we talked a lot about eco-fascism being a thing. We're like, let's find a benevolent dictator, let's sort it out. But also to a really scary, we we had the conversation and um, someone turned to me and said, you know, 15 years ago I was writing and I was talking about a situation where because of the climate, um, people would be drowning crossing the Mediterranean. And we all thought that we, by by which he meant, you know, the public would be shocked and horrified and wouldn't let it happen. But what we've seen, 2,000 people die crossing the Mediterranean in as many, what, like a year or two? And it just drops off our radar. And we like we thought that we'd n- never see the kind of aggressive nationalism that led to World War Two again. But look at the rise of Trump, look at the rise of Golden Dawn, look at the rise of fascists, like left, right and centre, to be honest. And that's really scary. Let's move on to government action, though. Unless you've got no, 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 go, 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 absolutely. Um, it's been a pretty mixed bag. I mean, the government has said they'll commit to zero carbon emissions by 2050. So climate activists want that to be 2025, but 2050 is a good start. Uh, and that would fulfill our global obligations. But at the same time, the plan's been criticised for not having enough detail. And the Tory leadership contenders, you know, were called out this week on the BBC for not being really... Um, vicious enough with it i mean the planet is dying guys so how do we make the case that only progressives can truly take on this problem well i think i think there's two things i think there's a a a progressive specific argument and then there's a kind of labor specific argument in that progressive specific argument i think there's two elements i think because of the extreme nature of this problem progressives and people on the center left have kind of struggled to find our particular language on this we've struggled to work out where our seat at the table is on this and i think it's two things i think the first thing is that you know we here at progress our commitment to progressive values is born out of a sense of urgency and a sense of pragmatism actually the urgency of all these different problems in our society require pragmatism and fundamentally We've said it before on this podcast, there is nothing pragmatic about not having a planet to live <laughs> on. All the changes we want to make, all the all the ways we want to reform the world we live in can't be done yeah, if the planet is underwater. Yeah, you can't with anything, you've got nothing to tinker with. And I think the second thing is you mentioned about, you know, these this lurching to the extremes on both sides mm. and the eco-fascism and stuff. I think, you know, often these movements that kind of bring this to our attention are inherently disruptive and they should be because then we notice and these climate strikes fulfill that. But actually what this needs as well, and some of the stuff we've seen in Parliament around citizens' assemblies points to this, is you need something to build something up as well. You can't just bring the system down. You have to build something up in its place. And a lot of the talk about the Green New Deal is really really fundamentally about that and actually as progressives we have a role to say saying actually we have a duty to look at the detail on this and let us mm. kind of help create that future and fundamentally the labor argument on this is this is about power this is about a group of wealthy people there was a really interesting thing and i, I know we're gonna have to move on in a sec but mm. there was a really interesting thing i was hearing about um how oil companies when they were the first ones to learn that fossil fuels were going to lead to global heating they they kind of had to make a decision they said like you know do we adapt to this or do we double down and start a propaganda campaign and what they did was they doubled down and started a propaganda campaign but at that time when they were building new oil wells i think the thing that really summarized just how messed up this is is that they started to build uh the infrastructure the oil infrastructure that goes in the sea at a slightly higher height to account for sea level rises right and that what that says to me is look not only can we build this highest, so we're not affected by the sea level rise in our work, the people behind that won't be affected by the sea level rises either because they'll have enough money to protect their yeah. children. And, and I think that is the labour argument. At risk of sounding sort of 
to you know into collective action there is certainly and we had a conversation about the individual versus the collective and it's definitely the case that the way our economy is structured rewards oil companies for making those choices right rewards them rewards their shareholders rewards executives exactly people who don't live in Mauritius and are gonna have their houses flooded people who aren't gonna starve because they can't afford food on the world food markets and these are all things and actually another thing is nation states right nation states are going to act in a really self-interested way like russia's going to say climate change is a thing but actually we feel like we've got a right to continue to pollute because we're the last people standing and that's fine and we could sort of end up in this weird hobbesian nightmare if we don't like start creating weird coalition nightmare <laughs> I feel like we're already there. Let's be honest. <laughs> I'm not sure I understand what that is, but you know, I'm into it. Um, <laughs> and I just wanted to, yeah, no, go on. Also just, 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 just to add to that, when you're talking about um, what roles the progressives have to play mm. here, I mean, this is the argument that people across our party are making to Jeremy Corbyn right now on Brexit: is that look, we understand that staying in the EU isn't going to solve all our problems, mm. and it's really important that Labour is uniquely a place to make the austerity argument. But let's not lie to ourselves. If we go off our, on our own and create a Green New Deal, I mean, that is not going to solve the problem. No, because this not. goes above... And actually, the EU is uniquely placed to do that. And we had Seb dance on the podcast before the European yeah. elections. And he made this argument brilliantly, which all these things we want to do needs the European Union, which leads us <laughs> very leads nicely us beautifully. on into Labour and Brexit. Labour and Brexit. So Labour had a cabinet meeting on Wednesday they about did. Brexit. Um, here are my notes. It just says, what What was decided? What does it mean? Um, looking into our big progress-shaped crystal ball, uh, what was decided? What does it mean? Well, there's been a lot of back and forth on Twitter about was it significant? Was it not significant? People, I think often factional politics gets kind of in the way of this discussion mm. and people start questioning motivations and actually, I think this issue is too important to do that. So I think we need to look at what was said. What was essentially said is that we need a public vote on any Brexit deal, which is what we wanted, which is what Labour members clearly said they would like at, on our conference policy. It also said there had to be real choices on the ballot paper, which has been interpreted to mean Remain will be on the ballot paper, which I think makes sense. And I think I think we should afford the leadership some good faith on that, that that is important and that does live up to what we want. But Tom Met Watson has been making this argument really clearly and he's kind of been banging his head against the wall and and he makes it so well and so clearly which is you know labor needs to commit to being the party of remain and that is what i think you've been doing with the labor yeah. say campaign and i think i think more importantly than that is that labor at its core is the party of remain right the majority of our mps the majority of our membership are all people who adhere to our internationalist values and who see the eu as a fundamental expression of those Values. I think that's really, really important. And I think what the next step is, is not only to say, yes, we need to commit to a confirmatory public vote. So a vote on any final Brexit deal, whatever that looks like. And, and obviously for Parliament to decide what options are on the ballot paper, but also for us to campaign actively for Remain and to make those internationalist, those internationalist arguments like freedom of movement why is freedom of movement important like if we don't say that we value um, migrants from other countries and we don't value their cultural value as well as their economic value as well as immigration as a sort of moral good then who will make that argument yeah. and i think we're 
ceding ground to the people who want to take our politics to the extreme if we don't do that. Um, um, and and I we think are running out of time. Just, just to, I, I just but, want to quickly, just to quickly add to that. I think obviously this issue has divided our country right down the middle. And I think people have accused, you know, those who want to take a side on this as only being for one half of the country. Mm. Whereas, you know, people who haven't taken a side of this are saying that, you know, we're for the whole country. Just make a clear point. Labour being the party of Remain is not the same as Labour being the party of Remainers. Yeah. This is a this is an issue with, unfortunately, because our country has been divided in this way, two clear sides. And on one side sits Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage. And on the other side sits progressive people of all stripes. And I think it's really important that arguments are coming from different parts of the party, mm. that we can't just be the party of Remainers. Mm. But actually, I think what... Tom Watson and many other people like, especially Jess Phillips trying to do on this, is working out how we become the party of Remain yeah. whilst also being a party I of the whole I think being the party of Remain does not necessarily mean you accept everything the EU does without change, right? There is definitely a Remain and reform agenda that says we need to think about how the EU develops and changes as an international organisation to face the problems of the future, like climate change. Last thing, now we're recording this uh, before the very final Tory leadership vote. So yeah, we're, 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 we're in the podcast bunker. We are in the podcast bunker. Stuart, Rory Stewart fell last night as we're recording this. I was really sad about that. RIP the Sag. (laughs) (laughs) He fell earlier today as kind of more votes were swept up actually by Michael Gove. So at this stage, Michael Gove is just ahead of Jeremy Hunt with Johnson right out So I predicted this and everyone said it would be Jeremy, be very careful about this, Jeremy Hunt. Um, But I don't really know why I'm cheering for Michael Gove. I think if you're a progressive at this point, it's like dumb or dumber. Yeah, I think just, you know, and like you said, we've got to to wrap this up pretty quickly. Currently, we don't know whether Michael Gove or Jeremy Hunt will be in the final two. All I'd like to say on that is there's people on Twitter who are talking about how great it will be if it's Gove versus Johnson, as if this is just like some Shakespearean drama that's like playing out for our kind of our enjoyment. And and look, this is To be honest, at least we get some fun out of it. Well, well, exactly. I mean, it is interesting and there are interesting characters and it can be light relief. I would... And, you know, I do it as well. I've been writing on my email as if this is a horse race as well. Yeah. I'm not blind to like that. Like Love Island but, for politics nerds. Yeah, but let's just, you know, let's just remember that while this might feel like we're watching the Hunger Games, like actually these people in their different positions and their different leadership skills are going to really affect people's lives. It's just a shame that none yeah. of them seem to have it. <laughs> and I'm just going to say, I uh, imagine leadership skills is in air quotes for all of you listening at home. Very much. All right, just before we wrap up, you've got a lovely little note here which says, on a less bleak note, and I think since we have Johnson and Gove that we've just discussed, we should mention it. Now, there was a study conducted by Beano. Um, I remember the Beano. Yeah. Dennis the Menace, who was very mean, very nice stripy top. To be clear, Dennis the Menace did not conduct this study. I believe it. <laughs> the CEO is the spokesperson for the study. Is Dennis the Menace the spokesperson, though? No. <laughs> um, and it's about Gen Alpha, who are children under 10. So what about these children under 10 that Dennis and Menace did not survey? Um, so, yeah, there's a study that's been done on Generation Alpha and people can go online and look them up. It was on the Daily Email earlier this week, which, by the way, you should all go and subscribe to. Um, it's like the news, but with a BS filter. I think we like to say that. Um, but basically, this is this is the new generation, I think beneath Generation Z. Uh, and, you know, it's looking really good. They're all more politically engaged than ever. They're less concerned about, you know, things like gender and, you know, all these different divides that exist in our society. And they've, they've got a kind of much more fluid 
view of the world, which is opening them up to things like going out and taking climate action at an age where I was actually probably reading Dennis the Menace <laughs> and not outside campaigning against <laughs> reading climate change. Reading the Beano, you yeah. say. Um, okay, great. Thanks, Stefan. Um, obviously, if you have any friends who aren't subscribed to this, what are you doing? Uh, please send it their way. They we don't have any friends, so you need to do that for us. <laughs> please. I definitely don't at this point. Um, meantime, subscribe, rate, review, and hope that those lovely Gen Alpha kids don't have an eco-fascist wasteland to grow up in. <laughs> have a lovely weekend. Great. been listening to the progressive britain podcast the music was one in the west by blue dot sessions licensed under creative commons and many thanks for our fantastic and long-suffering producer caroline crampton mm-hmm.